If you have your Bibles, we are continuing our study through the book of 1 Peter. We last left off three weeks ago in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. So we're picking up in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 17 this morning. If you, oh, if you need a Bible, George is up. He's ready to bring you a Bible right to your seat. Just raise your hand and kind of left him hanging there a little bit. But uh, he'll get one to you so you can follow along with us. 1 Peter chapter 2, right before 2 Peter. <laughs> yeah, figured that one out on my own. <laughs> Starting in verse 6, Peter writes, Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, <clears throat> elect, precious, And he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king." The title of my message this morning is, Are You Ready to Go? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can spend in your word this morning. We thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here and giving us understanding of your word and application in our lives from your word. We praise you for that. We pray, Lord, that you would bless our time together. I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you today, they're not born again this morning, Lord, would you especially speak to their heart? Help them to see their need to come to you and to be saved today. Thank you for this time that we can spend together. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51 and 52, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. He goes on to say in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus shall we always be with the Lord. See, Paul there tells us that we as Christians will suddenly be changed. In a moment, faster than you can blink your eye, Paul calls it a twinkle. 
the twinkling of an eye, the time that it takes for light to enter the eye, reach the back of the eye, and then be reflected out. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second, so the twinkle is about one billionth of a second. And the reason the Apostle Paul used this term was to assure us of the supernatural miracle of what is known as the rapture of the church. No one can impede it. No one can slow it down. No one can drag their feet or add anything to it. When it's on, it's on and up we go. Let's just say it is a supernatural event that's going to take place super fast. I mean, in a millisecond it takes to be raptured, we'll suddenly find ourselves in the presence of the Lord. We'll meet the Lord in the air, and thus will we always be with the Lord. Now, this twinkling can happen at any moment. It could happen right now. Always hope, always looking for that. So knowing this, let me ask you a question. What would you do if you found out that the rapture of the church was going to happen one month from today? Now, I'm not saying it is. Oh, Pastor Tom's a date setter. You know, I'm not a date setter. But let's just say for the sake of making a point, you knew that the rapture was going to take place in one month. What would your mindset be? What would become your focus? Would you quit your job? Would you go on a spending spree and charge up all your credit cards to the hilt? Maybe go on a three and a half week vacation to somewhere you always wanted to go. I doubt any of us would, would do those things. We wouldn't be so irresponsible. Because besides, we're smart enough to know that there's not a vacation spot on earth that can even come close to what we'll experience in heaven. Now, I would venture to say that most of us, if not all, would take an entirely different approach. Most of you would be more serious about the kingdom of God. It would be like the last lap of the race. You just would really pour it on. You'd go out seeking more opportunities to be used by the Lord in those final moments, seeking to add just a few more jewels to that heavenly crown. You would make sure that you are ready to go. No doubt we would all be more aggressive about evangelism, sharing the Lord with our co-workers and our family and our friends and our neighbors and, and realizing it doesn't matter if my neighbor gets offended at me for telling him about Jesus or telling him that he's a sinner. What difference does it make if he gets upset with me? I'm out of here in a month, so I won't be on to deal with it. But I'm also sure that most of us would be looking for and seeking to create some open doors for sharing with anyone and everyone we come in contact with to the checker, the price cutter, to the clerk at Costco, because just maybe, just maybe they would listen and give their life to the Lord. I would guess that we probably wouldn't be so concerned about the, the latest fashions or what movies are out there. And that's the thing. We don't know when the Lord is coming back. We certainly can look around and, 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 and see that we're living in the times that, that, that Jesus spoke of that could be very, very soon. We are close I mean, are we not seeing the signs today that Jesus spoke of? Wars and rumors of wars. Look at Russia and Ukraine. I mean, that's all we're hearing about in the news. China and Taiwan, North Korea threats. We're seeing the love of many wax cold. You know, people aren't, aren't loving each other. They're hateful towards one another. The acceptance of not being able to buy and sell without having a vaccine passport, making the way for a future mark of the beast. The World Health Organization calling for one world government. Have you seen this? This is an architectural rendering for, one, uh, for a one world religion headquarters being built on an island in the middle eastern city of Abu Dhabi. 
The headquarters will be called the Abrahamic Family House and is being done in collaboration with, the Pope, with Pope Francis, a Sunni Muslim leader, Sheikh Ahmed Al-Tayyib, after they both signed a global peace covenant called the Document of Human Fraternity for World Peace. They stated the purpose of this Abrahamic Family House is to bring understanding and tolerance among the faith. Here's my point. If we truly believe that Jesus could return at any moment, then we're going to live like it. We're going to make sure that we're ready to go. And that's what Peter is telling us here this morning. If we truly believe that Jesus could return at any moment, we're going to do three things if you're taking notes. Number one, we're going to make sure our foundation is on Christ. Number two, we're going to make sure our focus is on heaven. And number three, we're going to make sure our witness is fine. First thing, make sure our foundation is on Christ. Look at verse 6. Therefore it is also contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Peter's actually quoting Isaiah 28, verse 16, that says the same thing. It says, this is what the sovereign Lord says, Look, I'm placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes needs never be shaken. Now, in our day and age, unless you are a stonemason, you probably don't think much about cornerstones. But in the first century of Israel, the primary building material, or at least their foundational material, was stone. And the most important stone in the whole house was the cornerstone. The cornerstone was the first stone to be laid in construction. It became the foundation on which all the other stones would be laid upon. The cornerstone had to be that perfect stone set just right because it was off even a little bit. I mean, all the walls would be off, everything would be a mess. Those who are in construction know how frustrating it can be when a foundation is not plumb and you're trying to build something and it's going, what is wrong with this? And you realize, this isn't right. Interesting fact. 1990, the Leaning Tower of Pizza was destined to fall. Scientists reported that the 179-foot tower was 17 feet out of plumb and it was moving about one-twentieth of an inch per year. They predicted that by 2007, if something wasn't done about it, the tower would definitely have collapsed. They fixed it by placing lead weights on the north side of the tower and removing tons of soil from underneath it. The tower was then straightened by 18 inches, returning to the exact position that it occupied in 1838. Now the tower has been stabilized, uh, such that it has stopped moving for the first time in its history. But I think it's interesting that the word pista means marshy land, which gives us some kind of clue as to why the tower began to lean in the first place. The foundation was marshy, soft ground consisting of clay, fine sand, and, and seashells, as well as the fact that the foundation was only 10 feet deep. In the world today, Many people have based their lives off of many different beliefs, marshy foundations. For some, new age is their foundation. Other, others, good works is their foundation. You know, the attitude, as long as I do good things, then I'm okay. People have based their foundation off of money or trusting in themselves. Yet Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 3.11, For no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. I love the old hymn that goes, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. 
On Christ a solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Peter here tells us that Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone in verse 6. He is our foundation. He goes on to say in verse 7, To you who believe, He is precious. Once again, this big, burly fisherman. Simon Peter is using the word precious. This word precious speaks of a, a precious stone or gem. You know, we call them diamonds and rubies and emeralds. They're precious stones. But whenever Peter speaks of Christ or of his blood or any part about Jesus, he uses this word precious. I love that because it describes what Jesus did for us so perfectly. Who is more precious to us than our Savior? What is more precious to us than our salvation? Nothing is worth more than what Jesus did for us. And so Peter is saying Jesus is precious to us who believe. But to those who don't believe, Peter nails it. He says he's offensive. Again, verse 7, to you who believe he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So Peter here tells us Jesus Christ is the stone that was rejected. And we know that the Jews rejected Jesus as well as the Gentiles rejected him. In fact, when Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself, even the Father rejected him for at least a moment. But because he himself was sinless, God raised him up from the dead and placed him as the cornerstone. He is our foundation. But to those who don't know him, to those who are disobedient, Peter says he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Now, if you don't agree with what Peter's saying here, then I challenge you to go to your public college or state university and try to speak the name of Jesus. Just try speaking the name of Jesus Christ in our hallowed halls of our humanistic, socialistic, CRT, government-run public school system. You will be shut down. Why? Because Jesus has become a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Why are people offended with Christ? Because of his claims. Jesus claimed that he's the only way to heaven. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. People don't like that. They want to believe that there's many ways to heaven. People are offended with Christ because Jesus claimed in Mark 10, 6, verse 6, but from the, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. They're offended because they want many different genders, not just the two that Jesus said. So they're offended with Christ. The Bible clearly teaches that homosexuality, sexual immorality is a sin, and as Christians stand up against it, non-believers, they don't like it. They're offended with Christ. I can go on and on. Evolutionists wants to say that the earth just evolved over billions and billions of years and, 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 and you know, man came about through, through just uh, some goo and, and, and yet the you know, the Bible says, Proverbs 33, 6 and 9, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it was done. He commanded, and it stood fast. So we know non-believers are offended with Christ, that they are stumbled by him. They're stumbled by his word. But here's the problem. You see, Jesus described it for us very clearly in John three nineteen. And this is the condemnation that light has come into this world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. See, Peter is telling us that no one can avoid the cornerstone. You're either going to trip and stumble over him 
and reject him, or are you going to accept him and build your life upon him? Not just upon his teachings, but upon the person of Jesus Christ. The one thing you can't do is ignore him. Jesus said it. You're either for me or against me. You're either walking with me or you are walking in opposition to me. There is no neutral ground. Peter goes on now. Look at verse 9 and 10. He says to us, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. I love that. We deserve death. We deserve punishment. We deserve the death sentence. But because of Jesus Christ, He has shown us mercy through the cross. He has given us new life. We've been delivered out of darkness into His marvelous light. Therefore, we want to proclaim His praises forever. So our foundation is in Jesus Christ. He's the chief cornerstone. And as we looked at the beginning of chapter 2, we are the living stones being used by God to help build His kingdom. This brings us to point number 2. Knowing that Jesus could return at any moment, we need to make sure our focus is on heaven. Look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So here Peter calls us in verse 11, sojourners. It means a stranger, a foreigner, one who lives in a place without the right of citizenship. So we as Christians are foreigners in a secular society because our citizenship is in heaven. And the more we grow in the Lord, the more that we come to discover that our mindset and our approach to life is different from the rest of the world. And it's getting more and more different as time goes on. And our lives should be different than those around us because the world doesn't know us because they don't know Him. But we're not just strangers, sojourners. Peter also says we're pilgrims. Another translation of that word would be travelers. That has the idea that we're on the road, we're traveling, and we're just passing through on our way to our destination. This life is a pilgrimage. We're on a road that leads to heaven, and we want to make it to our destination. Now, we might enjoy some places along the way, but we're just visiting. We don't want to live here permanently. We want to get to our destination. I've experienced this personally just recently. Being in California, we were supposed to fly home on Friday the 4th. We get to the airport. I go to pull up my ticket up on my phone, and at the same time, I get an email that says the flight has been canceled. So I walk up to the counter, and as soon as I can get a flight home would be Sunday the 6th. So, all right, fine. We'll go hang out. So Sunday the 6th rolled around, and once again, I get to the airport. I check the car in. I come to the, term, to the, to the check-in gate. The flight has been canceled. I mean, not canceled, just, just delayed, just delayed, which means we're going to be missing our connecting flight, which means we wouldn't get home till midnight on Sunday. You know what? At that point, I didn't care what time I got home. I just wanted to get, to get home. Get me to Dallas and I'll rent a car and I'll drive home if that's the case. <laughs> Why? Because I want to get to my destination. I wanted to make it home. I don't want to live at the airport. That's Peter's point here. This life is a pilgrimage. We are on that road that leads to heaven and we want to make it to our destination. 
And again, verse 11, we're sojourners and pilgrims. He tells us we need to abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. In other words, as we wait to get to our final destination, heaven, there is a war going on. We're in a fight. There's a spiritual battle that's taking place. And and, uh, we're not only strangers and travelers, but we're soldiers in that war. Maybe you've seen this picture on social media. It reads, The church is not a cruise ship where a handful of people serve everyone else who is relaxing. No, the church is a battleship where it's all hands on deck and everyone serves the mission. I like that. Why? Because we're not only strangers and travelers. We are soldiers in a war. We live in a world where we are constantly being bombarded by fleshly lusts that war against our soul, as Peter says. And it's pretty obvious that Peter acknowledges that in this world we will be bombarded with desires to do bad things, sinful things, wrong things. The Greek word translated for war in verse 11 is where we get our English word strategy. The enemy has a strategy to war against our soul, your, your personality, your emotions, and your will. Whatever can get your focus off of heaven, off your Savior Jesus, and on your fleshly lust, he will try to do that. That's why Paul gives us this, this key to resisting our fleshly lust in Galatians 5, 16 and 17 when he tells us, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh for the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. Thus the battle. You know, our, our spirit and our flesh are like Jacob and Esau. They can never get along with each other. Our old nature, the flesh, and our new nature, the spirit, are constantly at war with each other. But the spirit and the flesh, they have different appetites, and that's what creates a conflict. And the appetite that you feed the most is going to determine the stronger force in your life. See, Paul tells us in Galatians 5 that we have a choice. We can walk in the spirit and utilize every resource that God has made available to us through his grace, or you can choose to live in the lust of the flesh and look for everything that you can to satisfy your fleshly desires. Peter's saying this similar thing here when he says, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul. It's a choice that we make. The word abstain means to keep away from, from fleshly lusts. Remove yourself from those places that would increase your appetite for fleshly lusts. Listen, if I want to go on a diet, I got to not park in the Andy's frozen custard parking lot. I shouldn't just drive through just to see what's new on their menu. I shouldn't say, well, I'm just going to order a water as I drive through. No, I'm going to avoid it altogether. She fleshly lusts here includes much more than just sexual temptation. Paul gives us a list of them in Galatians 5.20. Uh, yeah, it does mean sexual immorality, but also he talks about impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, Hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Peter says, stay away from these things. Avoid them like a plague. Why? Because they war against your spirit. This, this, just last night, I, I was talking to my son Joey, and we've been watching this, this, this video on YouTube. It's called Living Off the Grid. And it's really fascinating how they go up into Canada and they build their own little yard, this little house, and they're, they're cutting down wood trees and they're living off the land and they've they got a well and doing all this thing off the ground. This is really cool. So I tell Joey, I say, Joey, we're watching this, this video. Look it up. So he looks it up only to find out that they're providing all that. They're making money off this because they do porn also. And I told Kevin, Leanne Peterson, that the couple's dinner, they really need to watch this. Go, no, don't watch it. 
Strike, track it off your list. You don't know. Why? Because there's this war going on and there's this deception that's happening that's wanting to pull us into this stuff and fool us and get us trapped in this stuff. Listen, if you give in the lust, if you open the door to the evil flesh and desires to which this is speaking, it will war against your spirit. Like a military campaign, ground will be gained in your life. You don't want those things to gain any ground in your life. Don't even open the door to them. Be wise in what you're doing. If those fleshly lusts are those of quarreling or jealousy or outbursts of anger, if they're happening in your life and you need to start feeding your spirit instead of your flesh, get rid of them. For some, you know, I hear this a lot with, from wives about their husbands. It, it's the video games, you know. Once you sit down, four hours later, you're still playing that game. Listen, I'm not telling you to stop playing video games. What I'm saying is, if there's anything in your life that is throwing you down in your walk with the Lord, you're feeding any fleshly appetites and you need to stop giving in, starve it to death. Our mindset as Christians should be focused on heaven, focused on Jesus. We need to be ready to go. If our focus is on heaven, then we're not going to want to do anything that is going to get us off track. So we realize this world is not our home. We're just passing through. I'm not going to be interested in worthless things. I'm going to be more prone to avoid those things that war against the soul. And I will see that the responsibilities and obligations that I have in, in, in this life from the eternal perspective. This brings us to our third and final point. That is knowing that the rapture can take place at any moment. I want to be ready to go. I want to make sure our witness is fine. How do we do that? Look at verse 12. Peter tells us, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. In other words, I'm to make a difference in this world by the way in which I live. That word for Gentiles is just another name for non-believers. Peter's saying the way in which I live will have an impact on those around me. It'll have an impact on non-believers. And that's true. The way we respond to people in the world can determine many times the openness that people have to hear the gospel. He says, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles. It's like the story I've shared before, but it fits about this honest man who's being tailgated by this stressed out woman on this busy street. Suddenly the light turned yellow just in front of him and he did the right thing. He stopped right before the crosswalk even though he could have beaten the red light by accelerating through the intersection. Well, the tailgating woman, she just, it hit the roof and the horn, screaming in frustration as she missed her chance to get through the intersection with him. And she's just honking and honking and, and, and she was still in this mid-rant. Mid she, she heard a tap on her window, looked up into the face of a very serious police officer, the officer ordered to exit her car with her hands up. He took her to the police station where she was searched, fingerprinted, photographed, and placed in a cell. After a couple hours, the policeman approached the cell and opened the door. She was escorted back to the booking desk where the arresting officer was waiting with her personal effects. He said, I'm very sorry for this mistake. You see, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn, shouting and cussing at the guy in front of you. I noticed the Choose Life license plate holder and what would Jesus do bumper sticker and the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker plus a chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on the trunk? Naturally, I assumed that you had stolen the car. We as Christians need to realize that everywhere we go, we are representing God. You now, you hear people say, oh, you Christians are all alike. You're no different than the next guy. 
Listen, if we are going to be a witness to the lost people around us, then we must back up our talk with our walk. There should be nothing in our conduct that will give the unsaved ammunition to attack Christ and the gospel. Our, our good works must back up our good words. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The entire Bible echoes that truth. I've seen the powerful impact Christians can make on the lost when they combine a godly life with a loving witness. People come to faith in Christ simply because some loving, dedicated Christian let their light so shine before men. That's why Peter says in verse 12 that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may, be, they may by your good works which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I believe when Peter talks about the day of visitation here, it means that when God visits lost sinners and saves them by His grace, on that day when we stand before the Lord to receive our reward, the day of visitation, these people will remember your witness to them and the way in which you lived your life. And you are an example of Christ to them and they've come to know Christ through you. It'll be glory to God on that day. And I tell you this, I know when I get to heaven, there's going to be a number of people I'm going to thank for the influence that they had on my life and leading me to the Lord. Pastor Chuck Smith is going to be the, the, the first one I'm going to thank for faithfully teaching God's word so I could hear it and come to faith in Christ. So Peter is saying, saying people will remember your witness to them and the way in which you live your life, how you were that example to them of Christ and how they've come to know Christ through you and it will be glory to God on that day. So because of that, we need to make sure our witness is fine. Not only with our neighbors and our friends, but here's the hard one. Especially today, we must make sure our witness is fine, even with those in authority over us. Look at verse 13 and 14. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. Oh man, that's not what I want to hear. I want to hear protest. I want to hear resist, disobey, not submit. Now, Peter will give an explanation as to why in verse 15, but I'm sure that people to which Peter was writing this epistle to were probably a lot more discouraged in hearing that word submit than you or I are today. Because here's the amazing thing. Many of the Christians at that time had lost family members because of the corrupt government that was in place, and many more would lose their lives. So when Peter says, submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, understand at that time, Caesar Nero was in charge. He was governing the land. And Nero was not a good guy. Brief history on him shows that he came to power when he was just 16 years old, pushed there by his manipulative mom. He was uh, 17, he poisoned a friend at court. At 18, he plotted to kill that same mom. Three times he failed in this until he finally succeeded and had her assassinated. His own senate rebelled against him, but he forced many of them to kill themselves. When Nero wanted to build greater structures in Rome uh, to himself, uh, he ordered his men to burn a great part of the city of Rome and then blamed it all on the Christians. He persecuted Christians unmercifully. He used them as human candles, human torches, strung them up on poles, fed them to wild beasts. His legacy is that of one being the cruelest man ever to persecute the Christian church. Now, this is the same government that Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote to the Christians at that time that they were to be in submission to. 
I don't think we have it as rough as compared to what they went through. But even still, Peter's words are there for us. Submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Now understand that word translated ordinance simply means creation or institution. Doesn't mean, however, each and every individual law. Peter's saying submit to the institution that makes and enforces the laws. It's important that we respect the office even though we may not respect the man or woman in the office. As much as possible, we should seek to cooperate with the government and obey the laws, but we must never allow the law to make us violate or disobey God's word. And I am sure that people would have had a really hard time respecting Nero, the man. But Peter says, listen, if you want to make sure your witness is fine, then respect the office and the institutions of those that enforce the laws. Now, understand, it's possible to submit to the offices and institutions and yet also disobey the laws when those laws contradict the Bible. Daniel chapter 6, a prime example of that. There was a signed decree that read that any man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except King Darius shall be cast into the den of lions. What does Daniel do? Well, it says there in Daniel 6.10, Daniel knew that the writing was signed. He went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. Daniel did what he normally did. He always prayed. No law was going to stop Daniel from praying to the Lord. Another example of this is found in Acts chapter 5. When Peter was preaching and then arrested, he was warned not to preach the name of Christ and released. Peter obviously went right back out and started preaching all over again. When he was arrested the second time, they said to him, didn't we tell you not to preach? To which Peter responded, uh, uh, we ought to obey God rather than men. Listen, if the government tells me I have to pay higher taxes, I have to pay higher taxes. If the government tells me I have to drive 65 on the freeway, I should drive 65. Pray for me on that one. Uh, but if the government ever says stop preaching, that's where I draw the line. I will still be here preaching week after week. And listen, no supposed flatten the curve shut that will ever happen again. If the government, like, like you're doing in Canada, says, steps in and tells me what I can and cannot preach from God's word, then I will disobey the government. I will break that law. But listen, I will do so with the utmost respect, and if I'm arrested, I will go peaceably. Now, whenever we read of of Peter being arrested or any of the other apostles, we never read of them kicking their feet or hitting an arresting officer. Why? Because, again, God is concerned about our witness to the world. And this is coming from Peter, who, when Jesus was arrested, took out his sword and lopped off the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus said to say, Peter, put away your sword. See, when it comes to obeying the government and respecting those in authority, we're to do so in the best way that represents our Lord. Now, I have to tell you, I've never accepted joyfully a traffic ticket. But I will answer kindly and politely and respectfully to the officer that pulled me over. And I will pay my fine and try to be more careful to obey the laws next time, and hopefully there isn't a next time. (laughs) But we're to be obedient to the law because we're, we're... We're giving a testimony. Bottom line is we want to be a good witness. And Peter tells us, verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. In other words, when we do good, it silences those who want to talk bad about us Christians. That word silence means to muzzle. It's the idea of putting a muzzle on a barking dog. 
When we submit ourselves to the institutions that God has placed us under, it has a way of taking away their thunder. Evidently, the, the Christians at this time are being slandered and falsely accused of evil. That's why Peter says this is the will of God. The will of God is when this happens, you're to repay no one evil for evil. Don't be a poor witness. Finally, Peter says in verse 16 and 17, as free, you're not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. We are free because we are no longer a slave to sin. We are free because we're no longer, because we're now a slave to righteousness. We're now servants of God. But that means that we're still servants. We're to do as our master tells us to do. This word cloak in verse 16 means a covering. It means a, a means of hiding. In other words, you may say you have the liberty, the Christian liberty to drink alcohol, but it's just a way of hiding the fact that you don't want to give up alcohol. You may say you have, you have the Christian liberty to watch an R-rated movie, but it's just another way of hiding the fact that you want to watch what you want to watch regardless. Listen, being a Christian and having Christian freedom doesn't mean being free to do as we like. It means being free to do what is right. And, and the way to show that freedom we have in Christ is in our actions. Verse 17 again, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Four things Peter says here, and then we'll close. First, honor all people. Why? Because every human being is made in the image of God and is a candidate for his redeeming grace. As believers, we have no right to despise anyone. Whether they hate you or they hate our God or they practice a certain lifestyle that you disagree with, they're still made in the image of God and you're to honor all people. Though we may disagree with them, be shocked by them, disgusted by their actions as a child of God, we're not to, to ever look upon another person with contempt. Honor all people. Now, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we are to mindlessly tolerate any behavior that is abhorrent and, and unscriptural and sinful. Not at all. But every single person deserves to be honored and made in the image of God. Secondly, love the brotherhood. So we know we're to, we're to honor all people, but we're to go way beyond that when it comes to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're to totally have a, an unselfish love for our fellow Christians. Jesus put it this way in John 13, 35. By this, all will know you are my disciples if you have love one for another. It's interesting, that statement. We all know it, but I don't think we know what it means. Essentially, Jesus was giving the world outside permission to judge us, to look at our lives, to see if the gospel of love that we preach really works among us. I mean, note that Jesus didn't say they will know that you are my disciple by the fact that you love them, the heathen. No, you'll know you're my disciple by the fact that you love each other. So, love the brotherhood and the sisterhood. Then the third thing Peter says is to fear God. Now, this isn't a crouching fear. It's not like the cowardly lion on the Wizard of Oz. This is a reverential respect and awe of God. It means that we're going to live in a way that we fear doing anything in our lives that would be displeasing to our God. Proverbs 1.7, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. When a person truly fears the Lord, their life will be in proper focus. It'll be, he will be given a powerful incentive to obey the Lord, even if it might result in suffering at the hands of men. I mean, Jesus put it this way, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after they have no more than they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has the power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him, Luke 12, 4 and 5. 
Finally, Peter says, honor the king. Again, this means continue to show respect to this human institution. Really fear God and honor the king go hand in hand. We owe an honor to the office of the man who rules over us. And again, regardless of who the president is, regardless of his ability or inability to lead, or even to complete a sentence that makes any sense, he should be honored because of his office. Because they're in a place, according to the Bible, if I'm reading this right, that God allowed them to be in. So I honor them. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Make sure your witness is fine. So as we close, let me ask you, are you ready to go? Say, come on, Pastor Tom, I've been ready 20 minutes ago. Aren't we done yet? That's not what I mean. If Christ should return today, are you ready to go? If the Lord would choose to take you home today, are you ready to go? Have you made sure your foundation is on Christ? Have you made sure your focus is on heaven? Have you made sure your witness is fine? If not, get ready, folks, because Jesus is coming soon. I want to close with the last verse of the hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And so let's all stand together. We'll put it up on the screen. Have the worship team come on up at the same time. Come on up, worship team. This is the last uh, verse of the hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. Let's all read it together. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in him be found, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ a solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for the encouragement, Lord, that we know that you're coming back soon. So, Lord, help us to to make sure our foundation is on you. Lord, help us to make sure our focus is on you. And, Lord, help us to make sure that our witness is of you, Lord, in all that we do, all that we say. Lord, I do pray if there's anyone that has joined us that has yet to surrender their heart and life to you. Lord, help them to not leave this place this morning without getting right with you, asking for the forgiveness of their sin and committing their life to you. Lord, thank you for the encouragement of this time together. We ask your blessing upon our week, Lord, as we go our way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's close with one more song together.